greet you in the name of Jesus and a um, greeting from the church at Strawberry. Some of the brethren said, bring our greetings to you, brethren. So that's what I'm trying to do this morning. Bring our greetings, their greetings to you. All right. Um, I am not sure exactly what's happening this morning because... Um, a lot of uh, my points have already been touched on. So maybe the Lord is trying to speak to us in uh, more ways than one. I thought of this morning of uh, the triad of godly life. And um, for those of you that know Harry Argo, this is a uh, kind of an outline he preached uh, at home last fall uh, teaching on technology and he used kind of this outline for his presentation and I thought uh, giving honor to him but also uh, trying to build on his um, outline to share some thoughts for ourselves and what it, how it you know not the technology end of it but how the how the spirit of the Lord is trying to teach us the um, to test our faith and to and, and responses of life. So the uh, yeah again the 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 outline and some of these thoughts are from his message and I want to give him glory for that or I give him honor for that. And I uh, thought I'd write a little bit on the board here. identity how many of you do not have an identity we all do right we all have a name uh, we all have a last name we have a family uh, so we have an identity now the identity uh, defines who we are it, it tells us who we are, but it also tells us who we identify with. So um, our identity, who we identify with, will define who we become. It's the distinguishing character or personality of an individual. What makes you, you? That's our identity. Who we are in our heart of hearts. It's not so much who we say we are, but who we are in our heart of hearts. Are we uh, children of light, children of darkness? Is there darkness in our life? Who do we identify with? Do we identify with the people of God or the kingdom of this world? Some questions. 
Who do we enjoy being around the most? Who are our closest friends? Who are we most comfortable being with? Followers of Jesus Christ or the people of the world? You know, it's telling when we look at our friends. It's really telling. I remember a young man, uh, boy, this has been a long time ago, and I don't know if I can remember all the details, but uh, after he got married, he loved to spend time with his old buddies rather than coming home and being with his wife. And uh, it almost wrecked his marriage because he was more interested in being with his friends than with his wife. So it was telling who was his best friends. It was, yeah, it was very revealing. John 15, uh, verse 18 to 20. John 15. And I said earlier, uh, there was a lot of the scripture verses that I was going to read that was already read this morning, so we may skip some of that. Verse 18 of John 15. This is Jesus' words. If the world hate you, know ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hate you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. Remember, the followers of, or the people of the world will never be at one with the followers of Christ, never. There is an enmity there. I'm not saying that we need to have an animosity toward those out there, not at all. But I am saying that if we are rather with the people of this world than with the people of God, then we have a problem. We need to repent. Who do we find, who is, yeah, who do we identify with? Now, that brings the next question is, why do you identify with who you identify with? Um, So there is a higher authority than our own, than our own, um, it's just, it's not just me. There's somebody or something directing our lives. A higher authority, a authority of life. Who is our authority this morning? Well, we could answer that question. Uh, obviously, God is our authority. So let's write that down.
And why is God our authority? Can anyone answer that question? Why is God our authority? Just answer it. Because he made us? Anything else? The creation is not greater than his creator. That's right. Anything else? His son Jesus bought us. That's right. So I appreciate those thoughts. Divine ownership. Uh, Genesis 1. Genesis 1, 26 through 29. This is the creation story. And it's telling us how the Lord created heaven and earth. Verse 26 says, And God said, Let us make man in our own image, excuse me, in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air over the cattle, over all earth, and over every creepy thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of him created he them. Male and female created he them. Excuse me. Uh, he, God created him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them as God said unto them, Be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. Subdue it. Have dominion. Uh, Genesis 2 15 through 17. And the Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it, to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. So uh, there was a, a creation that happened here there was a God-made man at creation. And he said, gave them a commandment, said that you do this. So God is the old divine ownership of God is, is uh, and the scripture also tells us later, uh, well in Psalms 100 verse three says, know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves, we are his people and the sheep of his pastors. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. What? Know you not that you are the, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. So we are bought, made by God. We are bought by God through Jesus Christ. And we are God's. So therefore, God is our authority, uh, creating a, an identity for us. We, we find our identity in Jesus Christ. Now, why, why does it matter who our, our authority is? Why does it matter? Is it God or somebody else? Well, number one, God is a, gonna be a universal judge at the end of time. Acts 17, 23 through 31. Acts 17, 23 through 31.
This is the story of Paul uh, when he came to Athens. Verse 22 says, And then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that all things, in all things you are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. So they had all kinds of altars here, and they labeled one to the unknown God. Just in case we miss one, this is for you. To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. God hath that made the world and all things therein, including us, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hand, neither is worshipped, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needeth anything, seeing that he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, hath determined this, the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might be feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in, we, in him, we live and move and have our being. For also certain, for certain also of your own poets hath, have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as ye are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Gentiles is like, an, excuse me, that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art and men's devices. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all, all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. So God is going to be the universal judge. Eventually, we will appear before the judgment seat of God. Every one of us. Romans 14, 11, and 12 says this, For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us will give an account of himself to God. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So, our authority above us, our authority that directs our life is God, because he owns us and because we will give an account to him. What he says is true and we cannot change that. Now, there's another, uh, the, I said it's a triad of our godly life, so these are tests that we can make. Who is our, what are we identifying with is one test. Now, the second test is, our values. What do we value? <coughs> So uh, values could be defined as uh, what we believe, 
what we accept as ethical So values include what we believe, what we accept as ethical, whether it's good or evil, or right or wrong. And then another one is uh, our goals and desires. So what we believe, is it important what we believe? Is it important that we believe the right things? Is it important that we believe uh, that we accept the word of God as truth? Is it important? Is it important that we um, accept the word of God as final and we line our lives up to the word of God? Or is it acceptable to live our lives and try to fit the word of God to our life? Which would be more ethical? Which would be more, more in line with the scriptures? Well, obviously, taking the word of God as final and fitting our lives and molding our lives to the word of God. Is that correct? Absolutely. So, what we consider as, uh, as what we believe is of vital importance because what we believe is, is do we believe the word of God or do we not? It's going to make a difference in our lives here and in eternity. Ethical. What is ethical? What is right? What is acceptable in our lives? What is unacceptable? What is right? What is wrong? What is good? What is bad or evil? You know, the what is ethical question must be answered in our life. And when we stop and analyze what is ethical in our lives, then the question must be asked, does what you consider ethical, good or bad, good or evil, right or wrong, does it line up with the word of God? <clears throat> is what is ethical in your life based on the word of God? 
the final test comes down to the word of God, God's word. Now the desires and go or goals in life, again, what consumes our life? What is the passion of our heart? Is it the carnal pursuits or do we sacrifice for the good of ourselves, our family? Uh, the safety and spiritual gain? Goals of the, my life or the family? Again, I ask, what consumes my life? What is your desire? What is my desire or goal in life? Now, I would like to look at the testimony of Jesus Christ in this particular area. Uh, if you want to, you can turn to him, but I'm going to try to go through him pretty fast here. John 4, verse 34 says, And Jesus said unto them, My meat is to do the will of the Father, uh, excuse me, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. That was the will of Jesus Christ. That was his goal, his desire, was to do the will of the Father, to finish the work. John 6, verse 38 says, For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do but the will of him that sent me. A prophecy in the Old Testament about Jesus Christ in Psalm 40, verse 7 and 8 says, Then said I, Lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written, Of me I delight to do thy will, O, o God. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. So are the goals of my life the desires of my heart, are they same as the goals and desires of God for my life? Have I made a life commitment to do the will of my Father in heaven? To glorify God while I have the opportunity. Jesus' testimony was, I have glorified my Father in heaven. At the crucifixion, Jesus cried with a loud voice, It is finished, indicating that he completed the work that God gave him to do. Salvation was complete. Well, salvation was complete after the, the, uh, the resurrection. But the sacrifice for sins was complete, and God looked upon Jesus' sacrifice and was satisfied, the Bible tells us. Jesus Christ's whole mission in life was to bring glory to God and to complete the work that God gave him to do. What is our desire and goal of life? I'd like to tie all these things together then in a little bit here. The next one is behavior.
the fruit of our life? Or, or our works? What we say? Do <coughs> and accept uh, in life. <coughs> Rules of life, the structure. or standard. So we have our identity, we have our values, and now we're going to look at behavior. Uh, turn to James chapter 2. Fourteen through twenty six. James chapter two, verse fourteen. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and hath not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto him, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not the things that are needful unto to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that thou, there is one God, thou believest well, and the devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith was wrought in his works, and works were, was faith made, and by works was faith made perfect? The scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then how that by works a man is justified, not by faith only. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works, when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. For as the body without work, spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Now, I was going to read Ephesians 2 this morning as well, 4 through 10. Thank you, uh, Gerald, for reading that. But there it says that we are saved by grace, not by works, lest any man should boast. But here it's saying we, are, we need to have faith, we need to show our faith by our works. Is that correct? I think so. 
So what is the scripture saying? <clears throat> we cannot earn our salvation by our own strength. But again, I'd like to ask the question, does it matter how we live? Does it matter what fruit is coming out of our life? Does it matter the works we do? John 14, 15, Sunday school lesson. If you love me, keep my commandments. 21, verse 21. I didn't realize this, this uh, you had this, this uh, Sunday school lesson in this, uh, I had no idea. But verse 21 in 14, chapter 14, it says, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. John 15, verse 10. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So again, I'd like to ask the question, does it matter what we do? Our works, does it matter? the fruit that's coming out of our life? Does it matter what we say, the words we use, the type of words we use, the, the things we say, how we say it, or how we don't say it? Does it matter what we accept as right behavior? Does it matter the outworking of our um, interpretation of scriptures? You know, are we quick to give our opinion or judgment upon a, about a situation without knowing the details? Does that matter? Does that become, come under the behavior category? I think it does. You know, our behavior is not, some, is, is not always just how we behave, but it's what we do, what we say, and what we think. What we accept as truth. Are we quick to pass on to others little tidbits of information, gossip, if you will. What about the negative opinions of others, about others? Do we try to see the positive in others? I'd like to give you a testimony, personal testimony. This happened to me probably, um, hmm, probably about 35 years ago. <clears throat> I was talking to a brother from another congregation and I asked him what he thought about a brother in that congregation. And his, I mean, just, it, it didn't take him long at all. He just said, oh, I really appreciate that brother. That's all he said. I think maybe he would have said he is a Dedicated child of God. I'm not sure exactly sure what all he said, but what I remember the most was I really appreciated that brother. 
And you know, I got to know that brother very well. Not the first one, but the one I asked about. And you know, I, I, my testimony is that I have learned to appreciate that brother very much. Now why? What would have happened if the first brother would have said, Oh, you better stay away from him. He's not a good brother. He, he's, he's just carnal. He's, yeah, he does all kinds of foolishness. It would have clouded my vision of that brother or my perception. So does it matter what we say? Another testimony, our behavior, the fruit, the fruit of our lives, the works we do. <clears throat> Another testimony, this happened probably, oh, I don't know, I'm going to guess uh, 30 years ago. There was an evangelist that was traveling from home to another congregation and he was slated to speak for a week. And on his way, he had a deep, dark secret in his life, sin. On his way, he indulged in that hidden sin. He was unfaithful to his wife now this was an evangelist. He stopped at a whorehouse on the way from his home to the community to preach for a week. He was supposed to preach for a week. And he could preach fire and brimstone. He was a wonderful speaker. He got there, and, he, and I was there. He preached, and people were saved. But as he was preaching about the judgment of God on sin, as he was preaching about a holy life, he himself had this deep secret of sin in his life. And I say this because I want to give you his testimony. Later he repented and somebody asked him, well, how could you preach to a crowd of people about the judgment of God, the coming, yeah, giving account for sin, the love of Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus, and have this sin in your life? And this is what he said. I don't know if this is verbatim. But his answer was, well, you know, in my sinful state, I thought that if God saved people by listening to my preaching, then I must be okay. It must not matter. I'm going to ask you, did it matter? Was the man okay? in the sight of God. Did his life reflect 
his identity in Jesus Christ? Did his life reflect the values that he was trying to portray? No, it did not. It matters. It's a, life, a matter of life and death. I'd like to give you another story. You know, at home we have a heavy population of Southern Baptist people. And recently I was talking, I say recently, a couple months ago, I was talking to a local man. And uh, we were discussing the Word of God, fellowshipping around the Word of God, and I was blessed by the, the, the fellowship. We, had, we were having a great time. And in the course of this conversation, he started telling me about the jobs that he had had in other states. Um, he was telling me how he can't stand the swearing of people in the workforce, how he, they used the, just, just swearing violently and, and awful. And he just can't take that. <coughs> In the one job, he was, um, he rebuked, he was kind of a, uh, oh, I don't remember what he said. I think he said he was an inspector or something. Not, a, not necessarily working for the company he was there, but he, I think he might have been even working for the government, inspecting this job and making sure it gets done right. And uh, on this job, he told me of an encounter that he had with with a man with a terrible mouth, just a dirty mouth. And there was an exchange of some heated words between him and the other man. And this is what he told the man. Finally, it got to the point where he said this. Now, I, again, this is not necessarily the exact words, but it's the gist. Uh, he threatened him, he said, uh, now, I could shoot you. He was an avid hunter and a, and a wonderful, yeah, he, I saw his, his arsenal of guns, and it's, it's, it's only to dream about in a hunter's life, the, the guns that the man has. But he was a tremendous shot, and he said, uh, he said, now, I could shoot you in the head, and you wouldn't find out what happened. But... In thinking about this, I think I would just gut shoot you so you would suffer and then die. Now there are some serious scriptural problems with this exchange. Some serious scriptural problems. Number one, he threatened the man. What does Ephesians 6, verse 9 say? Let's read it. Ephesians verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 9. And ye masters, do the same things unto them, forbearing threatenings, knowing that your master is also in heaven, neither is there respect of persons unto him, uh, with them, him. So, he threatened the man. He said, I could, I, I could shoot you because you are so nasty. I'm a child of God, is what the man said. I love the Lord Jesus. And yet he said, I could shoot you. 
that you wouldn't know what happened, but uh, I think I'm just going to gut shoot you. I, I would just gut shoot you so you would suffer a lot. Number two, another problem is scriptural problem with this exchange is he did not follow the example of Christ. First Peter 2, verse 23. This was Christ's example, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. So Christ was saying, I, he just committed himself to God. He suffered violently. Number three, this man was willing to take vengeance upon himself. A clear violation of scripture in Romans 12, verse 17 through 21. Let's read that. Romans 12, because I, I, I want all of us to get what happened here. Romans 12, 17 through 21. This is what the scriptures say. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourself, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. So leave it to God. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. So he was willing to take vengeance upon himself. He would have been. Number four, he didn't love his enemy. There was no love lost between the, the two individuals. I soon discovered that. <laughs> And number five, he was willing to take another man's life, or he would have been. Now, whether he would have actually done this is debatable. But I wouldn't want to bet my life that he wouldn't if he, if, if, if he was pushed far enough. So now the question is, this man said that he was a child of God. He identified as God having authority in his life. Now he, he had, uh, he said he had the values. Let's do this number. So our authority will always, will always give us an identity that relates properly to the Lordship of God. The values will have a direct bearing on our behavior. And our behavior will reflect our identity. Now, I'd like to ask the question. <coughs> Taking somebody's life, threatening the man, was, did that behavior did that behavior, would that behavior reflect the values of God? Would his values allow him to, to, to act like that? 
would his behavior and values, if we, yeah, it, it, it points to, to his identity. God is, God, is, uh, God is my authority, and I give myself to him, therefore I accept his values as value, as value of my life. I accept his rules of life for my behavior. I am glad this morning <coughs> that we can leave the question if he's a child of God in the hands of God. We don't have to judge him. But I tell you this morning that if our behavior does not match with the values that we believe, what we accept as ethical, if that's not right with God, and our behavior does not enhance our identity with the authority of God, we have a problem. You know, we may never go that far to threaten somebody with taking his life, but what about when we just can't stand that brother or sister? Is there a difference between hating our brother and killing someone. The Bible says he that hateth his brother is a what? A murderer. So what is a murderer? Somebody that takes another's life. There is no difference according to scriptures. So if, if we just cannot stand a brother or sister, then I question whether this is all flowing together. Because if my behavior does not, again, does not in, uh, reflect or uh, that reflect is not the right word. I can't think of the right word that I uh, want. But it, if my behavior does not um, Well, that's a good one. Character is better than the, the word I was, I was using. Uh, but if it doesn't characterize, yes. If it doesn't characterize the, the whole aspect of the authority of God and what it does in our life, then we have to ask the question, are we really real? Are we really a child of God? First John 2.9, he that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. First John 2.11, he that hateth his brother is in darkness, walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because darkness hath blinded his eyes. First John 3.15, whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Verse, uh, first, chapter 4, verse 20, if a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? Now the structures in our life, the structures down here in the behaviors, the rules of life, does that reflect, does my, uh, rules that I have accepted in my life, the structure, the, the things that is okay, the things that are not okay, does that, has it reflected the values that I say I have in my life? Has it reflected that I identify as a child of God? If it doesn't, then we have to question, are we a child of God? Or we have to question, do we have the values that we say we do. 
You know, it's more than just saying, well, I love God. I love the Lord Jesus. It's, it's more than just saying that we are, um, yeah, we, we, we read the Bible and we love the Lord and, and uh, you're giving lip service. It's more than that. It's a life that follows after. A life that proves that we love the Lord. You know, there are people, um, children, that just, they run wild. Children that um, lie and cheat, and they see nothing wrong with that. That's because the parents have not taught their children that it's wrong to lie and cheat. It's, there's children that go out and steal merchandise. Is that okay? Well, we obviously would say no, it's not. Well, why not? Because we are taught by the Word of God that a liar will never go to heaven. A let him that stole steal no more. So this morning, the question, we're getting close to tax time. Is it okay to lie and cheat on our tax returns? You know, in my line of business, there's people that many, many, many times they ask me, well, is it going to be cheaper if I pay you ta uh, cash? Their idea is if they pay me cash, then I don't turn it in, so therefore I can give them a, a uh, cheaper rate because I don't have to pay taxes on that. Is that okay? Again, no. Do we report our cash income? Should our children be polite and respectful? Should they fly through the door and just let the door slam right in front of another person? Is that okay? Are, you know, do we take time to instill values and behavior uh, standards, rules. Is it okay if they go to, if you go as a family, go to another person's house and it looks like a tornado went through the house after they're done playing? Is it okay for you to go home, not teaching your children to clean up their toys before you go home and letting the host deal with the tornado? Is that okay? There's values that we are teaching our children. There's behavior practices that we are teaching our children or need to be teaching our children. And these are all tied together in what we confess that we believe and what we say that we hold, hold dear to our heart. They need to match. They need to flow together. If they don't, we have to question, well, is this really in your life or in my life? Is it okay if children bump into older folks and knock them over and then run away laughing? Is that okay? Uh, obviously not. A quote by Brother Harry there at that meeting was, drop your standards and lose your children. Another quote was him by him. The only organization that is dropping rules and standards 
or fails to enforce guidelines is a dead or dying church. Now that wasn't me, that was him that said that. <clears throat> Think about it. Every business or organization in the world has guidelines and rules in place that define who they are, what they stand for, and what is expected of their members. Even gangs have rules and expectations, however wrong or off course they may be. And yet parents and children, I mean parents and churches somehow are trying to raise children and have church without rules and structures and expect results. They would love to see the results that come from a structured life. It's not going to work. You drop your standards and you will lose what you have. So if we take any of these things out of our life, if we take the values, what we believe, that the word of God is true, what we accept as ethical, what is good or evil, right or wrong, our goals and desires, the fruit of our life, the works that we do, what we say, do, accept in life, rules of life, structure, our identity in God, if those do not uh, mesh and flow together, if what we say is not matching up with the rest of it, then I think we need to check our lives and make sure where we're going. Are we really a Christian or aren't we? Are we really a child of God? They have to be together. That's why James tells us, show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show you my faith by what I do. That's exactly why he says that. If we take any of these things out of this triangle, this, tri uh, this trinity of life, our Christian life will fail. It will not stand in the day of judgment. We show our love to Jesus Christ by accepting his atonement for our sins, believing his word, and living in obedience to his directives for our life. We show our love for Jesus Christ by pattering our lives after his example. Let's uh, kneel for prayer.
For we know that that you see us in a very true way. In our heart of hearts, whether we say <coughs> regardless of what we say or do. And Lord, to you be all the honor and glory. Father, if there's anyone here that would this morning that is is his life is in shambles or his life is not matching up with what he says. Lord, would you give him grace? Give him strength to come clean, to help him, Father, to line up his his identity with Jesus Christ, to line up his values and his behavior that they all would enhance one another. And Lord, forgive us for we have failed you in the past. May we love you, may we walk in your truth, and maybe we do your 